Welcome to The Deal with Yield, your podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. I'm Joel Whipperfirth, Director of Digital Transformations at Winfield United. And I'm Corey Evans, Technical Seed Manager for Winfield United. On this episode, we'll be discussing crop modeling and how well they performed in the 2019 season. Hey, Joel. So we had a a unique year in 2019. Let's talk about models, specifically our field forecasting tool. And can you just give me a a basic overview of what a crop model is and what FFT is? Yeah, well, I like to think of it uh, a lot like the mental models that maybe you you have developed over time in your own head about, I need to be doing about these things, and these things are interdependent on one another. And when you answer a question like, what hybrid or what trait selection I have, you have a mental model established in your head for how to do that. Almost like walking through a maze, you kind of remember how to do that. So if you farmed enough years, you probably have a mental model of when you applied nitrogen and what the corn should look like and and what you do if those things aren't adding up. Well, a, a crop model is just putting that logic down into a computer code and we typically start out with a uh, university's very plain Jane model, and then we use data to build on that and inform the model or do something we call machine learning and make the model more intelligent. And you start to enter in data that helps you get closer and closer to the answer being correct. Sometimes we talk about modeling as digital twins. If you had a twin of your cornfield that was a computer model, you could run some examples on there and see what influenced different management decisions you could make on there. And digital twins is something that's used in the industry quite frequently to be able to optimize a manufacturing facility or even a, a jet engine for an airplane. So modeling, it sounds scary. It's, you know, it's actually more simple than that, but really it's just building some data with some assumptions and putting that formula back out and then using technology to further that. Did I make it simple or complex? Oh, man. Where do we start? <laughs> so when I watch the 9 o'clock news at night and we're ahead of a snowstorm, one thing that I've noticed different in our meteorologist forecast probably the last two or three years is they start showing different models of our snow forecast, right? They've got the European model that shows we're going to get 12 inches, and then the next model says 2 inches, and somehow they end up in between that. Walk me through what makes a good model and maybe what makes a bad model. First of all, you, you kind of have to know what data is feeding the model and what assumptions the model's making. So, like I think about uh, field forecasting tool, our crop model, and the data that's feeding the model is things like soil type, planting dates, nitrogen application, last year's crop. And those factors exclude some things like phosphorus. So if you've got a field in single-digit phosphorus, the model is assuming that phosphorus is just fine. So I I wouldn't say that there's, you know, what makes a a bad model is a difficult question to ask. What makes a bad model is when the model's wrong, but sometimes the model's wrong because of the assumptions that the humans made. And, you know, the, the good humans understands the limitations of what assumptions the model cannot make. So in this case, you know, I I think of the variability across the field, the variability of diseases, uh, and in particular, uh, our field forecasting tool model doesn't model out the impact of disease on that field. Or if you put a fungicide on, those are all things that would cause the model to be off just a little bit. It's modeling for the average. So what I hear from you, Joel, is 
really it's bringing to life a lot of things we can conceptualize, but it's really hard to have a quantitative output. When I think of growers, and we tie it back to, to weather forecasts, we use models all the time on the farm. We just maybe not know that it's a model that's getting us there. When you see a, a snow forecast of 2 inches versus 10 inches, you know, the 10 inches probably tells us we should get the snowblower ready, and the 2 inches, maybe it isn't as big of a worry. So when you think about that, if you're a grower, how would you use a crop model on your farm, and how would that be different from what you'd normally do? Well, I think you add it to your data points. If you plant it on time and you've gotten lots of rainfall, but you, you know, this is the part where the model can help you because sometimes you've got lots of rainfall and you assume the nitrogen's gone. And what you aren't measuring is, well, what was the soil temperature? Or you're not modeling what the soil temperature was and you've maybe mineralized in. So I'm oftentimes surprised at a field forecasting tool recommendation that comes back after we've had a whole bunch of rain and it says, no, you're good on nitrogen because it's also modeling what's going on in the soil. So you're modeling the plant, the atmosphere, rainfall, but you're also modeling soil. And oftentimes what I experience for, you know, just what goes on in the atmosphere of rainfall, I have an incomplete mental model because I'm not also associating that with the temperature of the soil and how much nitrogen was mineralized. So I think those are all places that, that play a big role in, in impacting. So I kind of turn the tables on you a little bit. You've had some experience with field forecasting tool this year. What, what are the decisions that farmers are making with field forecasting tool versus without? How are they doing it without? How are they doing it with? I think it goes right back to planting in 2019. So if you were sitting in your machine shed on May 21st and you hadn't planted a, an acre of corn seed yet, you probably had some gut emotions on, okay, I'm going to plant sometime between now and the 1st of June. What, what's my yield? Like, do I give up on the, the acres? Do I push the acres? Do I spend the money on nitrogen? Like, what do I do? And for us as agronomists, it was really hard to point growers in the right direction because we really didn't know either what, what does a late planting season really mean. We haven't had it or experienced it in a while. And the one thing I relied on field forecasting to a lot for is putting in the planting date, putting in the hybrid, and starting to compare, okay, what's my yield potential that field forecasting tool is saying, and what's the differences in relative maturity? Can I get away with maintaining my relative maturity? getting to black layer, or can I, you know, shorten up my relative maturity because I'm, I'm worried about when it might hit black layer in, in October. And so it didn't have anything to do with modeling yield or nitrogen. It was simply making sure my gut was wrong or right. So we made the right decision, not knowing what the year was going to give us. I think back to the spring and in the South, you know, obviously they plant a little earlier in the South than we do in the North, but in the South, one of our agronomists called and he said, this thing, the prediction that this thing has is way off. We normally get 250 bushels on this field and it's predicting way off of this thing. I can't trust the recommendation that goes on in here. And so, you know, I went through my checklist of, okay, is all of the data in the tool accurate? Do you have the right hybrid, the right maturity, the right planting date? You know, did you look over the soil parameters, the soil test, last year's crop? Yep, all that's right. Okay, number two, a field forecasting tool uses a tissue sample. That tissue sample helps to calibrate the model and, you know, erase any bad assumptions the model has made before that. And then the third piece that went on, is there any outlying factors that would cause that yield to be high 
and you just can't see that. And, you know, it's interesting. The agronomist said, no, we, we checked all those boxes. And then so we, we wound up actually bringing in some of our, uh, our researchers from, uh, from over in France to actually go out and visit the field. And, of course, by the time they got here a week or two later, you could actually start to strip ears back and you could do a kernel counts. And we started to do kernel counts. And sure enough, the yield was actually off by more than 50 bushels from what the farmer had normally gotten. But the model was right on. The model was right on in, in the moment in the season. And these are some of the best agronomists out there in the country that when the solar radiation, you know, we talked a little bit on prior episodes about GDUs are a measure of heat units, but the, it had been really cloudy down there. They hadn't gotten the solar radiation. And more importantly, the forecast that was inside of the field forecasting tool could see the coming weeks of predicted solar radiation, predicted temperatures, predicted rainfall, and kind of said, look, this is not optimal weather for producing photosynthesis for a corn plant, and it backed off the yield. So I think that's one of the, the, the key learnings for me. And I, these agronomists, they were, they were ready to throw in the towel on this thing, and they were really concerned because it was off by that much. But the model was actually right. I think we all get into the space of having our you know, mind made up on what's, what's the yield or what's the probability of achieving X yield versus Y yield. And not that we're always wrong in our gut, but I think field forecasting tool really complements that of, okay, am I way off on my guess versus that? And what decisions or limiting factors separate that yield gap of what I expect and what field forecasting tool is showing? So do you have some examples this year from your experience in answer plotting with growers around uh, any specific fields that, that surprised you this year? You know, the the key learning for me was the importance of a tissue sample, right? Because when we look at the weather we had and the performance we had of hybrids, there was spots in fields that performed really, really well. And then there was other spots in the same field that didn't perform as well. So when you took a tissue sample and calibrated that model, it gave us a little bit of understanding of what's actually going on in the field. And we could start to see differences between the good spots and the bad spots and carry that throughout the season. The one thing that I was really surprised with was when we started to pull back ears and we could start doing kernel counts, we spent some time going through fields and used in-season imagery to direct us to different spots, right? We w went and found the best spot, we went and found the, the worst spot, and we found the average. And when you compared the field forecasting tool to the average yield that, that we came across knowing that you know, it's 30% really good, 30% average, and 30% bad. It performed really, really well to, to what we expected from kernel counts. Now, the challenge was getting us to be confident about that number like six weeks earlier so we could make decisions before it was R2 and too late to do anything. Yeah, so I think this is one of those areas where going into the season, farmers want to make decisions, and you know more about that crop the more you delay those decisions. I think about the risk. I think about every time we go up a little bit in yield and productivity, we also go up a little bit in risk because the better you get, the more risk is out there. And this is where holding back a little bit and utilizing crop model to help you make some of those decisions in season is, is one of the ways that you can hedge your risk. Rather than 10 years ago, uh, a good yield might have been 200 bushels or you know, depending upon the geography that you're in, 
and now you're dis, you know, 200 is a potential crop failure uh, in some regions. Of course, some regions of Kansas, hey, 70 bushels is a is a good yield. But you know, when you think about what you were getting 10 years ago, you've got additional risk for having grown that yield out there by putting those inputs out there and maybe not getting back to last year's yield. I think of before we had crop models to lean on, and I think of when we took the combine across the field, we got a report card, right? This spot did 200, this spot did 230, and all the decisions we made leading up to that, that was our final report card. And just having something with a predictability of yield and having that report card or you know, quarterly grade earlier in the year, just to help understand that the direction of decisions, right? Is this the right thing? Is this increasing my probability response? Is this going to have a higher ROI if I make this decision? I think the benefit is moving that report card earlier in season when you start making expensive decisions like fungicide or nitrogen. Yeah. And, I, you know, I would also add in, you know, as we work on the machine learning aspect of that model, the model continually improves. The more environment that that model sees, the more data points that we've got on that, and we continue to evolve uh, the accuracy, the features, and and the decisions that that model is helping us make. So if you were going to give some insight into your experience with field forecasting tool this year, and you look at the year we're coming into, what would you tell a grower of how to experience field forecasting tool, and, and what would you specifically do on the farm with it? Yeah, so I think, you know, one of the first places I'd start is figure out somebody that can help you take a tissue sample, because certainly that is one of the differentiating pieces that's going to help you have confidence in that model. And a tissue sample can help you unlock the micronutrients in your fields, you know, the zinc saborons, it can help you unlock the macronutrients in your field using your nitrogen to sulfur ratios, your nitrogen decay ratios to understand that. But the field forecasting tool can help you understand the conditions that you're about to experience and the probability of response in those situations. So I would recommend work with your local ag retailer, start with a tissue sample, and, you know, find a couple fields that you could actually do something about. Now, I would also say that the, the model is set up, you can run it today, and you can play around with some scenarios. You could actually look back at last year and figure out when you started to deviate from optimal nitrogen uptake. And if on many of your fields, you're going deficient in nitrogen around the same time, and this is happening year over year over year, you've got to look at yourself and go, well, my, my mineralization isn't kicking in fast enough, or I don't have enough organic matter. I need to change my plan and then start to back yourself into, okay, can I change my plan by adding a, natri- a nitrogen stabilizer? Should I change my plan by adding a slow-release fertilizer? Should I change my plan by having a retailer with a, a spinner spreader go across the field? Or do I need to take on my own side-dress nitrogen applications? And all of those are, are kind of decisions of just looking at last year, what when you deviated from optimal nitrogen uptake, can help you unlock maybe what your plan is for this year and then build your plan around that tissue sample this year, allow yourself to uh, to make a nitrogen recommendation in season using field forecasting tool and be able to respond to it. So you're saying hindsight is 2020. Yeah. Is that like a 2020 I, joke? I think that, that might be a new presentation title. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So one last question, you know, you sold me on it, right? Field yeah. forecasting tool is cool, awesome. It's innovative. It's a new tool to the farm. Now, how does field forecasting tool get better? What's evolving on it to get it to the next step? 
When I think about field forecasting tools evolution, we are continuing to reduce the data entry barrier, and we're doing that by connecting it into the data silo. And the data silo connects with some of the best equipment manufacturers out there to bring in hybrid planting date so that we can start to not have to do all the data entry from scratch. And that's where reducing that workload is one piece, making this data available to you in web and mobile formats uh, is, is one of the areas. So it's about uh, ease of being able to get to the information. And, you know, we're, we're continuing to bring more data into the tool, more yield data into the tool that allows us to calibrate those things. So we're making improvements all along on that. And, you know, hey, maybe someday we'll, we'll bring out additional modeling on uh, things like diseases and have some ability to improve it that way. You've been listening to the Deal with Yield podcast. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review us online or on your podcast app. And for more episodes, find us on your favorite iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, or thedealwithyield.com. 